Let's make today the day you get one step closer to becoming the parent you've always wanted to be and the parent your children deserve. Welcome to Powerful Parenting for Today's Kids. I am your host, Erin Taylor, and I have wanted to help parents and children literally since I was 11 years old. I created this podcast to help you make a stronger, healthier, deeper connection to your child, to understand the inevitable challenges a little better, and learn some new ways to navigate them when they occur. Thank you for spending some time with me. Now let's get this show started. Hello and welcome back to the show. And this is episode 614. And today I have my new friend, Michelle Benio here with me. Michelle is a mom of two, a certified grief recovery specialist, an early childhood parent coach, and the founder of Good Grief Parenting. After her six-year-old son died of cancer, Her three-year-old daughter said, Mommy, half of me is gone. This heartbreaking statement defined Michelle's life purpose. Her mission is twofold, to help parents through the unimaginable challenges of parenting while grieving the death of a child, and to help parents meet the unique needs of a child who has lost a sibling in the early childhood years. The desire of Michelle's heart is to see families live forward after loss toward a future bright with possibilities and even joy. Welcome, Michelle. It's great to have you here with me today. Yeah, thank you, Erin. It's great to be here. So I know this is going to be a bit of a heavy topic for our listeners, but eventually we're going to bring it around to something that I think will be valuable to everyone who tunes in. But -hmm. before we go there... I'd like to honor the memory of your son by hearing his story. Yes. Well, um, I was an early childhood parent educator. That was my career. That was my focus. I was raising two young children. My son was four and a half and my daughter was 15 months and my son was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And so that just really changed my whole uh, parenting journey. And, um, in spite of the perspectives that I had, because that was my field, there was certainly some new layers. And we battled with his cancer for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter went through her her terrible, although I like to call them terrific, her terrific twos and threes, while her brother was in the hospital. Oh. And, um, you know, we we made the decision as a family to include her from the beginning. Many families um, would, we'd see them at the hospital with their sick child and the other children would be with a neighbor or other family members. And we just kept my daughter with us. We kept the four of us together. And so she was able to go through this journey with us. Uh, We were in a children's hospital and that was you know, pre-pandemic. So we were able to all be there together. She was able to be there with her brother. And um, it was one of the best decisions we ever made. Because after two and a half years of this 
very uh, atypical journey that that no other children that we knew could identify with. Um, my son did die of cancer, and my daughter was three and a half months old or years old, and she had been able to really. Um, have such a close bond with her brother, her big brother. They adored each other and they were able to grow up together in spite of his situation. Um, so when he was gone, she said to me, mommy, half of me is gone. And that just made me so aware of just the deep impact on a young child that, that we as adults don't so often see. And it was heartbreaking for me. And even though my own loss was devastating, um, you know, when your child is diagnosed with the big C word, my thought was, no, no, this not my child. This can't happen to my child. Um, and after two and a half years of dealing with that illness, you know, um, it, it wasn't any less uh, devastating when he died, which, of course, is kind of an obvious statement. But um, so I, because I was in the field I was in, was really regarding all of this from that lens of how do I parent in spite of this? How do I parent through this? And I knew then, especially when my daughter said that, and it just broke my heart to know that she was going to have to grow up without her brother, um, I thought, I need to figure this out. It is not okay for her to grow up with half of her gone. Her whole lifetime is ahead of her. And I had access to as many resources as anybody. I was in this field. I knew where to look. And there really wasn't anything uh, much for me to find. And this was 20 years ago. So, Aaron, you and I were experiencing this child loss starting on our child loss journey at about you know, in about the same year, my son died in 2000. Mm -hmm. um, and it took me until just a few years ago, uh, even though I knew back then that if this didn't exist, because I was an educator, and this was my field, and this was my heart, I would have to do something with this. Um, and so I'm doing that now, um, helping parents learn how to parent when something devastating like this has happened, because there's quite a bit of assistance helping us deal with the loss, but it's the parenting piece and the parenting for a lifetime. And, you know, you've started on this journey and you're so aware of the parenting um, because you know that your family has moved ahead with part of it missing. Um, so I just really appreciate the work you do in parenting. And that's what my journey is as well. Beyond the loss, how do we do the parenting that's necessary? Mm, such a good question. And I think it's such an important topic. Mm -hmm. um, before I comment on that, I want to say, I, when I was listening to your story, I was thinking, I was feeling, wow, I guess thinking is the word. I'm so glad, glad that my daughter died when she was an only child. She was our first. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. 
what I what I discovered, we joined uh, an organization called the Compassionate Friends. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's a, for those of you who don't know, it's a it's a national and international nonprofit organization devoted to helping bereaved parents, siblings, and grandparents. And it's a wonderful organization. And we met lots of wonderful families through our monthly meetings in that Mm -hmm. organization. And the stories of loss that I heard always made me say, always made me feel like their story was so much harder than our experience. And we went to the national conference that year in 2001. And all the people that we, all the parents that we met said the same thing. And I thought it was such a weird kind of just, I I don't know. It's just a weird thing that Mm -hmm. when you're in a community of fellow bereaved parents, it's very common for, you, for a parent to look at another parent's journey and think, oh my gosh, their journey is so much worse than mine. Mm-hmm. And whereas, like I think on the outside world, people who look at us say, oh my gosh, their journey is so terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But within this, we think tend to think that our journey isn't quite as bad as someone else's. You know, I met people who lost young children mm-hmm. and I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe how hard that must have been to have to say goodbye to your child who you knew. Mm -hmm. And they would say to me, I can't even believe how much, how hard it must have been to say goodbye to your child that you didn't get a chance to know. Exactly. So that's like kind of a weird compassion and empathy thing that I think happens in the bereaved parent world, which is like a kind of beautiful in a way, you know, that, everybody honors the other person's journey in such a profound way. It's Mm -hmm. just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, you know, I, and I don't use the word life lightly, but that is a gift that we get. I mean, there are gifts that we get out of it. And I think being aware of other people's struggles um, and even our own, like, you know, I will get off of this call and probably have the thought, Michelle, I can't believe you just sat there and talked about this like it was another day in the life because it is such a profound experience. Um but we, you know, we come to terms with it and we're able to, I talk about living forward with it and the importance of that. And I think for those of us who have been through it to be able to walk with those who are newer and help them really get a hold of the fact that, yes, you know, you can um you can gain some gifts out of this, even, and one of those is really being aware of other people and being able to have that compassion for other people, which is a gift. It is absolutely a gift. And I think the, the biggest, most priceless gifts in our lives collectively come out of the most difficult times that we yes. live through. Mm-hmm. And if we make the choice, we have to make the choice to look at what gifts are being offered to us and decide whether or not we're going to receive them. But if you're willing to receive them, goodness. Yes. The richness of your life just increases tenfold. Yes. 
Don't you find that? Oh, absolutely. And you're right. It is about choosing. And sometimes that's hard to do. <sighs> Excruciatingly um, hard. It's hard for it's hard for two reasons. One, well, more reasons than that, but you know, because you have this just this devastating pain and you and all you can see is what you've lost. And mm-hmm. the other reason is this this um desire to hang on to your child and this feeling of being loyal to your love for your child. And if you move or live forward or somehow feel better, you're in a way abandoning this um, relationship that is just so vital and important to you. You don't want to let your child go because then you're leaving them behind. And that's kind of the other struggle I think that a lot of um, bereaved parents have. Absolutely. And I think that this topic, while hopefully most people who are listening cannot relate to it, because that would be my hope. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't wish to meet more people who have lost a child. I don't wish that on anyone. Um, but I think in the larger discussion of how do we show up as parents when we're grieving deeply, families today... We're just coming through a year and a half plus of a pandemic that Mm -hmm. has taken the lives of millions of people around the world. People have lost jobs and livelihoods and the ability to hug their loved ones. And kids are not in school or they weren't for a period of time. They've lost time with their friends and their teachers. And, you know, so many people are grieving the loss of so many things, not Mm -hmm. just people. But Mm -hmm. so many things over the past year and a half, I think that this is a valuable thing to discuss. And what what I'd love to talk about is how how can parents who are grieving and maybe kids who are grieving, how Mm -hmm. can parents who are grieving help their children? How can they show up as the parents that they want to be? And that mm-hmm. the and the parents that their kids deserve in mm-hmm. that moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, I think we as adults are so afraid of grief. We're afraid for our children to be exposed to it, and so it makes us not know what to do with grief when our families experience it. And I think the most important thing for adults to to realize is how normal and natural grief is, that it's a normal part of life, that we all are going to experience it when we're young, and that the best way that parents can help is to acknowledge and honor grief that exists and be willing to talk about it. Really, the best time for anyone to learn about grief is when you're a child, because that's when you're first going to experience it in some way. And if adults can just be honest about how they themselves are feeling so that the child understands I'm feeling that too, and it's okay, it's normal. Just being open to talking about it, allowing our children to see our feelings and say, you know, mommy's really sad today because your brother's gone. Do you feel sad about that too? And the child can say yes, or, you know, mommy's really sorry that she can't see her friends. I really miss my 
friend Jane, you know, are you missing your friends too? Yes. And talk about it and just allow them to see that this is normal. That's the beginning. And it doesn't have to be a big conversation, just an open door. And that can be so helpful because so often we try to avoid grief and just make things better without, um, you know, well, let's go do this instead without honoring the grief. And I think it's really important to honor it and acknowledge it. I think that's so true. And when you were talking, it was making me think about last spring, Um, you know, at the beginning, the first few months of the pandemic, my son my oldest son was a senior in high school and he was so looking forward to his senior year. Yes. He had waited for it, you know, like any kid yes. does. He had waited for it for four years mm-hmm. and uh, he plays, he played on the high school volleyball team, which had a spring season and he made the varsity team when he was a freshman Mm. which had its own social challenges being the freshman on the varsity team. So it wasn't all peaches and cream and easy, Mm -hmm. but he played at a pretty high level for all four years and they got better and better and better as the years went on. And so their, his junior year, they were just so good. And then senior year came around and the coach you know, probably, I guess, works through the winter scheduling the, the, the matches between the different teams. And he said at the beginning of what should have been the season, probably late March, first week of late February, first week of March, he said he was having trouble. We saw him on a walk because he lives in our neighborhood. And he said he was having trouble scheduling uh, matches with teams like, you know, in the conference or whatever, you have yeah, to play yeah. each other, but yeah. they also play other teams. He was having trouble scheduling optional games, uh, matches with teams because they knew how good our team was and they didn't want to play them. Oh. So there was so much hype and so much excitement going into that season last year. And we were so excited and, you know, since mid-January, January, well, January 3rd was the first article I read about this strange pneumonia-like thing that was popping up in China. So at that point, it had been two solid months of constant articles I was seeing and like, this is not looking good. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, he got one week of the season in. They managed to get the senior trip to Disney World in. (laughs) And then as soon as he came back, everything shut down. Mm. So at that point in mid-March, the coach said, oh, I hope it's only our school decided to shut down for five weeks. And we thought five weeks, that's like a lifetime. How are we Mm going to have school closed for five weeks? But he said, you know, hopefully we'll get the season started as soon as we get back in school, you know, end of April. And then they'll let us push it out to June. And then it was hopefully first week of May, hopefully mid-May. And then finally, we all kind of had to take a deep breath and go, it's just not going to happen. Yes. And it was devastating Mm -hmm. for my son. Mm -hmm. So my son lost his senior prom. He lost his senior season of volleyball. He lost, well... 
they had a graduation, but it was weird because they broke the whole school into, I think, four graduations. And they had each uh, kid sitting with their two family members. And we were all socially distanced with lines on the field, the football field. And it was like 95 degrees and he just couldn't see three quarters of his friends. It was just not ideal. It was yes. great that they could do it, but not ideal. So he kind of lost the graduation. He definitely lost the prom. He definitely lost his senior season. And that was the most devastating for him. He could have tolerated the other ones. But anyway, I tell you this whole long story because when he found out maybe like two or three days after he found out the season was just not going to happen. I mean, really, even to this day, I think about it and it seems surreal. I remember hearing the news and thinking, well, that's not possible. Of course it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have a pandemic, but we'll figure it out somehow. Mm -hmm. No. So maybe within two days or so, he was so grouchy and so angry and so sad and so everything like he was just mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. not an emotional guy mm -hmm. and he was just like brimming over with emotion and we were talking about it one night in his room and he said you know what I think I'm going through the stages of grief and I said oh my gosh that's so profound you are you are yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is that's what's yes, happening yes. you're grieving and mm -hmm. so it opened the door to this beautiful conversation that allowed me to acknowledge and, and highlight exactly what he realized that he was grieving. Yeah. And so, you know, we were able to put words to it and have a frame of reference for it. It's not just, he was waking up grouchy and miserable every day for mm -hmm. no reason. Mm -hmm. Right. He had lost a tremendous amount. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think having those conversations with kids of any age, young ones, older teens, it's, it's so valuable. Yes. And it is wonderful that he recognized that that was grief. And I'm sure that's because you, your family has been aware of that. You've been aware of that. You've helped your family learn that. Often with, with young children, we talk about sadness and we label grief as sadness. And it's not sadness. Mm -mm. It's something different. Grief is when you lose something that's gone. You're not going to get it back. It's gone. And that's different than just being sad because you can't go to your friend's house today mm -hmm. or sad because you can't go to school today. It's different. And uh, yes, I felt so much for especially seniors it, when the pandemic happened, because that is such a pivotal, you know, just such a huge year in so many ways uh, that they lost so much that is a part of, of what you carry forward and I carry forward and everyone before them was able to carry those memories and that transition and that these kids will never have that. They'll never have that ending to their school career. So that's why, you know, that just reinforces the value of helping our children when they're young with other kinds of losses experience uh, and understand that it's normal. You know, I share my story um, 
because I remember a really early instance of grief that happened when I was five or six years old. And I was at the beach. I lived on Lake of the Woods in northern Minnesota. So the the lake went on forever off into the horizon. And I was playing with this blow-up toy called Wally the Walrus. I remember how much I enjoyed him. (laughs) And he started to float away and got away from me. And Nobody could get him. Adults who could swim couldn't get him. He just kept going. And I had to let him go. And I had to stand on the beach and watch him float further. Heartbreaking. Oh, it was. I remember how I felt. It's like he is gone. He's, I don't know where he's, he's going to go off into the horizon. It was grief. And it was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mark Twain has a quote where he says a child's about grief and he says a child's loss of a doll or a king's loss of a crown. They're equally, they're equal grief because to a child losing something like that is a hundred percent grief. And so that's why I say we all have those experiences as children, but my parents didn't honor that grief. It was just a toy. It's too bad. I lost it. But, you know, um, so those are the times when or when, a, um, you know, a pet dies. It might be a goldfish. Um, it might be a dog. There are plenty of opportunities in childhood to help our kids recognize that this is grief because something is permanently gone. And that's very different. hmm. And, you know, I think the understanding about grief and the grieving process, we know, we understand so much more mm-hmm. than we did years ago than our parents did. And, right. you know, information is power, which mm-hmm. is, which I love. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's so, so valuable to understand these concepts so that we can know what we're dealing with in our own hearts mm-hmm. and then to have greater empathy for our children because mm-hmm. watching that inner tube float away was devastating for you as a child it <laughs> but it would be easy for a parent to give you five minutes of comfort and then you know in their mind kind of be like okay let's move on it's an inner yes. it's a float like what's yes. the big deal but to yes. you like it was your playmate it was your world in that moment and then you literally had to watch it leave and there was yes you were powerless to do anything about it. Yes. Yeah. And yes. And you mentioned the grief process. And I think just the fact that grief is a process is so important for people to recognize because a process sort of has a beginning and then it moves on from that point. And I don't ever say that grief has an ending because I, I think we grieve for the rest of our lives, but the pro, but there is a process and there is, um, there is a hope that can be found in that process. And I think that's important for people to recognize because I'm sure you have, and I know I have met people who just don't know how they're ever going to move from where mm-hmm. they are right now. Yep. This is so awful and so devastating. And you talked about choice. And that's one thing I help families that I work with recognize is you're standing in this place, 
But the grief you experience even a month from now, certainly a year, five years from now, as bad as it still could be, it's not going to be the same as this initial grief. You are moving through a process and you are moving to a place where it can feel better. But part of that is about choosing to recognize that, that I can feel better, that I don't have to stay in this place of devastation. So that idea of the grief process is so important for that reason, I think. And I learned a little um, acronym, I think that's the word, from my dear friend, Dr. Shafali, talking about grief. And it really helps me to quickly and easily remember the stages of grief and I want to share them here. And I would actually add a fifth one or a sixth one. So mm-hmm. DABDA is the acronym. Mm-hmm. So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever I encounter someone who is grieving something or someone, I give them that. And I, I let them know because they might not have ever experienced, uh, known that they experience grief or know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, you know, it's not a neat and clean thing where you spend a week or a month at each phase and you go mm-hmm. D-A-B-D-A and then you're mm-hmm. at acceptance and okay, mm-hmm. five mm-hmm. weeks later, I'm all done. And you just bounce around back and forth to different phases at different times. Things will trigger you. You think you're in acceptance and then it'll trigger you and you'll be depressed again. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be angry that the person is gone or that the thing is gone. And so it's normal to bounce around from different mm-hmm. uh, stages back and forth. It's not linear. And the, the one that I would add as a sixth one is meaning. Mm-hmm. So I think the way to most successfully survive and thrive on the on the backside of grief not that you get over it or it's finished but when you're on the backside of the thing you're grieving looking back at the experience Mm -hmm. your life since then um if you can find meaning Mm -hmm. to to bring forth out of that Mm -hmm. loss that you've suffered Mm -hmm. it helps you like it helps your your body, your soul, your mind, your spirit, your heart, everything mm-hmm. to wake up again. Mm-hmm. Did you find that? Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, for me, it was so, so instantaneous, you know, so early on because my purpose was. I need to help families who don't know how to do this. And that became, mm-hmm. and it took me, you know, over the many years when I had in my mind that I needed to do this and I wasn't doing it yet because I really needed to be able to meet families in their loss and grief without mine over, overshadowing it. Right. And it, it took such a long time for me to feel like, okay, Now I can talk about my grief and I can feel my grief, but it doesn't sweep me away and I can stand in theirs because I know they are in an earlier stage and I remember what that felt like, Mm -hmm. but I'm not feeling that anymore. So let's move on to the concept of self-care because you mentioned that before we started recording. Mm-hmm. And I am a huge proponent of self-care as a parent or as a human first, mm-hmm. even more vital as a parent, even more vital as a parent who is grieving. So yes. what are your thoughts on self-care 
to help you through the grieving process. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree with you. It's just so vital. Uh, You know, I think that is one of the first things when I start working with uh, parents, I help them understand what they think about grief and what and how they're viewing grief. And wrapped up in that are so many ideas about, um, you know, getting past it, moving on, not paying attention to it, not um, showing it, all of those things. And I help them understand how unhelpful those are and how important it is for them to help their family first and foremost to take care of themselves. And so, yes, I think it's the first best way for families to, or for parents to help their families heal and for them to recognize what their needs really are. Because when we're grieving, we so often just really don't even know what our needs are or how to take care of ourselves because it may not be what we're used to thinking about. Uh, So I think it's important to intentionally look at that. What kinds of things do you really need right now? And allowing yourself the opportunity to have those things. I just think that's so important. It is so important because we cannot, you know, the old saying, we can't pour from an empty cup. Right. And when you're grieving, whether it's the loss of your child, a devastating grief, or the loss of your job or something having to do with the pandemic, you your cup is even more empty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you need to work even harder to fill it. And whether that's a few minutes of quiet time or the chance to read a book or take a walk or sit outside in nature or mm-hmm. write in a journal or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it could be anything, any variety of things that bring people play music, you know, draw mm-hmm. something, create mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something that give whatever gives you a, a feeling of contentment and joy and mm-hmm. peace. And I think th- that kind of stuff, creativity, certainly, and self-care really mm-hmm. helps you to come alive again mm-hmm. and to like feel like there's air in your lungs. Right, right. I remember the first time I smiled mm-hmm. after my daughter died, and I'm sure you might remember mm-hmm. something similar, mm-hmm. and I felt kind of surprised and guilty. Like, yes. how can I possibly experience anything that makes me happy or joyful Mm -hmm. and she's dead. Like Mm -hmm. what is wrong with me? Why am I, how am I going to do it? Did I not love her because I can Mm -hmm. feel happiness. Mm -hmm. And then after that initial shock wore off, I realized, wait, no, I'm just trying to live. Mm -hmm. And this is Mm -hmm. what she would want for me to be able to experience joy and happiness. So this is all okay and normal and acceptable. And I think that's a huge part of grief and recovering from grief is the idea of permission. Mm -hmm. There are so many permissions that we need to give ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, that grieving, however you grieve is absolutely okay, even though other people kind of try to tell us what they expect us to be doing at this stage, you know, whatever it may be. And so, first of all, giving ourselves permission, giving ourselves permission to be happy, but also giving ourselves permission to just 
cry because mm-hmm. that's one of the most healing and self-care things that we can do is just have a good cry and allowing ourselves to do that. And the other thing that I talk to uh, parents about a lot in the area of permission is you have permission to let other people know what you need and expect them to honor it. They may not, but you have permission to tell people, you know, that is really not helpful to me right now. What I really need right now is to not have to go to this big family event that everyone expects me to go to. I know it's important to the family, but what I need right now is this. And giving people the words and the permission to advocate Mm -hmm. for what they're feeling they need. There's so much we feel obligated or even just uncertain around when we're grieving Mm -hmm. um, that we just need to allow ourselves permission to Mm. do. So many good points you brought up. So many good points. I think that... Uh, I hope that our discussion today has really brought some tremendous value to my listeners because I think that many people could relate to grieving in some form Mm -hmm. or another. Yes. So thank you, Michelle, for spending Mm -hmm. this time with me today. And if people want to connect to you, how can they find you? They can find me at my website, um, goodgriefparenting.com, and you can find there my Good Grief Guide, which just includes a f- four simple steps that adults can take to help children who are grieving. And, and that's just a good place to start with being more aware of um, how you're, how you can help children. And you can certainly connect with me through both of those sources. Fabulous. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing, Michelle, in helping families and honoring the life and the memory of your son. And I just know that he is very proud of his mom and Mm. smiling down on you. Mm. Thank you, Erin. I was very happy to be here. Thank you so much. So that wraps up today's episode. And I hope you got a lot of value out of our discussion today. And wherever you are in this world, I hope that you make it a very supportive day for yourself. That wraps up this episode of Powerful Parenting for Today's Kids. If you know anyone who could benefit from this episode or this podcast in general, please share it with them. Also, I always love hearing feedback from my listeners. I welcome you to send me an email to erin at erin taylorcom if you have any comments or questions that come up for you in an episode. Our children are our future. Parenting them is the most sacred task we will ever be asked to do. It truly does take a village to raise a child. Let's help each other to raise our children to be who it is they are meant to be. If at any point you feel like you need a little extra help and support, reach out to me. I am here to help you.